Happy Tuesday night, everybody, and welcome into another edition of This Week in Hockey, along with the voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. Happy to be with you tonight for two straight hours of hockey talk. And some hopeful good news on the way as we continue to trend towards hockey coming back. But first things first, Curbs, how are you tonight? Alex, I am doing well. Thank you. Uh, I think it's not a matter. The only thing that's going to prevent us from seeing some sports is essentially the virus itself. And there is no doubt in my mind after watching the news of the last few days, after watching the news of the last week across sports, And I think you'd be really missing the boat if you're just trying to follow your one specific sport and trying to understand what's going on. You've got to follow the other sports. You've got to see what's going on in college football. You've got to see what's going on with Major League Baseball, with the NBA. When it comes to this and sports getting started, it's coming back down, frankly, to just, one, how well these leagues educate the participants in the events and and I say it that way not just the players because in the National Hockey League you will be sending 50 people to a hub city so it's not just the 50 player the, the players the 31 32 players that may end up going it's the other 19 20 people that may uh, you know, that are going to be there too and everybody's going to have to just you know really suck it up and deal with some of the rules and regulations to, to get through this because Alex I think the only thing that is going to prevent us from seeing hockey or one of these other sports is just a complete mishandling of a situation uh, and and then the virus growing that much more within yeah. the ranks yeah 100% and that's where we're at now and I mean look you you still have some teams who really haven't even gotten into phase two I know we're going to play a couple clips from Michael Russo who of course covers the Minnesota Wild he's an NHL insider for the athletic he was on Rivs and BK earlier this afternoon but he said that Minnesota hasn't even gotten into phase two yet that's going to be coming I believe on Thursday this week so you have still teams that haven't gotten to phase two we're still waiting to find out where the hub cities are but all of those are minuscule in terms of hockey returning because it's what, what's what's holding things up is just agreeing upon the health standards that go into how hockey's going to return. Well, there's a little more to it as well because you're right on that. But what people have to really understand when it comes to how the National Hockey League is opening things up is by doing it in the phases in which they are doing it. Phase two is optional. Phase two is optional. A player not entering the phase two protocols at their team's practice facility is essentially free to do whatever they want to do, assuming, and you have to make the assumption, that they are following the the CDC and the you know the social guidelines put out by the CDC and, and their respective government leaders. So the reason I say that is if you are going into your practice facility now, you're making the choice and you're making the decision to, one, get COVID tested before you enter, take a physical, get an EKG done because they're starting to realize how this virus can affect the heart muscle. All right. Then on a daily basis... You have to get up, take your temperature. You have to answer certain health questions. And I don't know if the app is up and running yet or if they're still doing it by just phone calls. But it depends on the team and where where they're at in that process. 
And then you go to the rink. Once you're at the rink, you get your temperature tested again. Now, honestly, with all due respect, I think the temperature testing is a bit of smoke and mirrors, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think it, it's definitely a sign that you might have something, you know, but it's it's not a sign that, that you have COVID. But I, and as we've seen with all the testing that's been positive lately, especially with, you know, the, the, the Philadelphia, uh, the, the Phillies, some of the Tampa Bay Lightning players, mm-hmm. you know, the, a lot of these athletes are testing positive, and a lot of these athletes are proving to be, well, let me put it, I shouldn't say a lot. The athletes that are testing positive, a lot of them are proving to be asymptomatic. So, you know, it's, it's the temperature thing is not the end-all, be-all. So all these arenas, when they eventually open up for people, they're going to do this. They're going to do temperature testing. And, and I think it's just probably to make people feel good, if I'm being real bluntly and honest with everybody. So, But, but the point is, is you're going through all that. If, if you're not entering your team's Phase 2 protocol, you are not subject to that. But it does beg this one question for me. What will the COVID testing positive results look like on July 11th? Maybe July 10th, when camps are supposed to open up. Mm-hmm. What will they look like if 50%, let's say, because there's only about, as of last week when the National Hockey League put out their release, there's only the 200 tests they've done, they had 11 positive tests, right? Okay, so, you know, at, at that point, you're looking at a, a, what, a positive rate of about 5%. Right. Okay. What do, those, what do those numbers look like if over 50% of the players that are going to participate in camp did not participate in the phase two part? And do you have a, a whole lot more testing positive? Right. You know, and, and, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, I would almost, you'd almost wish that as many of the players, right? You almost wish that as many of the players as possible would participate in phase two. So they all expose themselves to each other right now. Right? Yeah. And if somebody comes down with something, you've got a couple weeks for them to maybe get through it, get over it, you hope. Yeah, I, I don't know how this is all going to work out, but um, it, it will be a part of watching this break from phase two to phase three that I think is going to be interesting. Well, and if you get players that do have that in the beginning portion of phase two what does that do to the training camps then does that set those back does the season set itself back a little bit because they can't continue with phase two if i'm not mistaken correct well i listen i I don't i don't believe and i don't know this i have not talked to some anybody along these lines to get this you know perfect all right but i cannot imagine with all the planning and all the scenarios and all the what ifs right that every one of these sports leagues are dealing with that you do not have a plan in place if and when a couple guys get tested that will prevent you from having to shut down now having said that we saw a women's professional soccer team completely shut their season down mm-hmm. and they were going to base in, in the what the uh, NL uh, NWSL right the Orlando Pride they had eight players they just said uncle <laughs> and and they they stepped out of their tournament. So, you know, and, and what if that happens? You know, what if one of the, what if a scenario like we you saw reported with the LSU football players, 
where you end up with 20-plus players testing positive. You find out that most of them were at this bar off campus and that the contract tracing that they did, according to reports, had over 100 people from the bar that night that, that, that tested or positive. Or Djokovic, who's out having parties and then testing positive with the COVID. Well, he was throwing a... He was... Uh, I, I didn't read anything about the parties, but I mean, he was running camps. Yeah. As well. But the videos were the ones that surfaced of him at parties waving yeah. his shirt around in the air. But Well, okay, but go back to go back to uh, Ezekiel Elliott. Yeah. Ezekiel Elliott, at the beginning of this, you know, and you know, it was kind of nonchalantly, you, know, you saw the pictures of him having parties at, at his house with 30 teammates, that right. kind of thing, okay, and then now it comes out later that he testifies. Now, there's a ton of time, yeah. so let's not lose context here <laughs> when we talk about this. So, but, but again, that all, Alex, comes back to me, I guess I'll leave it with this. The success is going to be 100% on the diligence, the cautiousness, and the honesty of the athletes and those participating within these bubbles. And it has got to be unselfish. Yeah. It has got to be unselfish. It has got to be 100% about the person next to you, the person in the same room, the person in the same hotel. Because this virus with the contagiousness of it has proven that it can spread quickly, it can spread very fast, and so to think that it couldn't roll through a bubble situation would not be all that unrealistic. Yeah. And I guess um, uh, it's just up to them. If somebody, if so, the one guy says, hey, you know what, I feel a little off today. Mm-hmm. I feel a little off today, but I want to play because it's game three. You just you you you're gonna have to be honest about it. Yep, honesty is gonna be crucial. And, and I loved the the quote from Alex Petrangelo, uh, who did skate today over at Centene, and Chris Kerber had the chance to talk to the captain. And you're gonna hear Alex Petrangelo a little bit later on the show tonight. Uh, he said, "We all want this to work." Everyone is going to be following the guidelines. We know what's at risk. If you don't, we're all trying to get the same thing done. Yeah, I, I talked to him for about 15 minutes today. And again, we'll play that interview in its entirety for you in the second hour of tonight's program. We've also got, you're going to hear from Vladimir Tarasenko coming up in just over a half an hour from now. John Kelly's going to join us in about five minutes. And then at the top of the hour, Dave Mishkin. Dave Michigan is the radio play-by-play guy for the Tampa Bay Lightning. I want to get his thoughts on their camp and their phase two essentially getting shut down. Plus, his wife, a couple of years ago, was battling cancer. And Dave, uh, while she was battling cancer, broadcasted some games off the television. So something we're going to have to do. Oh, so wow. we'll, we'll get some perspective from him on that. But you're right. Talk to Alex Petrangelo. Um, and... I, again, just like everything we kept talking about from the cup year through all this past year, you get around some of these guys, you just have a Zoom conversation with them, and you feel a little more relaxed because you're like, okay, this guy gets it. Yeah. He he, he understands every aspect mm-hmm. of uh, of what's going on, or at least the role he has to play in it, and that's a positive. So we'll hear from Alex Petrangelo at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. Dave Mishkin is going to join us at 7 o'clock. We're going to hear from Vladimir Tarasenko at the bottom of this hour. But up next, it's the broadcaster for Fox Sports Midwest, the voice of the Blues. On the television side, John Kelly, as we saw two Blues players take the ice today and yesterday. We'll talk a little bit about that and more with John Kelly next. It's This Week in Hockey. He's Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. We're 
with you here until 8 o'clock tonight on your home for the St. Louis Blues, 101 ESPN. Into this weekend, uh, hockey tonight. Uh, again, we've got a lot coming your way here. You're going to hear from Vladimir Tarasenko. You're going to hear from Vladimir Tarasenko. We're going to check in with Dave Mishkin, the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He's coming your way live at 7 o'clock. So stay tuned for that. Two hours of hockey talk every Tuesday night right here on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. Tomorrow night... On Behind the Bench, which is brought to you by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors. The entire show is going to focus around uh, Chris Thorburn. He, he talks about his 14-year NHL career from a whole bunch of different angles. And so we're going to uh, be joined by Chris Thorburn tomorrow night on Behind the Bench. Joining us now from uh, the uh, Palisades in Kirkwood is uh, the TV voice of the St. Louis Blues, John Kelly. How are you, Mr. Kelly? I'm doing fine, Chris. How are you tonight? Doing awesome. Hey, before we get into actually talking some hockey, John, I want to go back uh, to, to COVID uh, uh, here for a second. If you don't mind me asking this, and I'm going to preface this for everybody to say that as as this as we get more and more testing and as sports get back to action, and then you start to all of a sudden the positive tests of COVID are going to have faces that you are more aware of. You know, Djokovic, for an example, things along those kind of lines, or as, you know, a couple months ago, John Kelly. Um, I don't think people should necessarily be numb to just, well, this person tested positive and they're an athlete that everything's going to be fine. John, this, you, you went through quite a sickness dealing with this, didn't you? Well, I did, Chris. And, you know, we all know that all of these athletes, especially, the hockey players that we deal with on a day-to-day basis, they're, they're very special people in terms of their, their abilities and their world-class skill. But that doesn't mean that they're, they're not susceptible to getting this disease. So, you know, when I first heard the news on Friday that um, 11 players had tested positive in the last couple of weeks out of 200 tested um i was a little bit shocked and i was uh, you know a little concerned about the long-term future of, of getting back to play but the more you think about it well why wouldn't these guys um test positive at least a small percentage when to my knowledge these players have not been quarantined they've been out um doing what you know normal people do and going to the stores and you know, playing golf perhaps and things like that. So it's it's not a big surprise. So I, I, I think you just have to get over that shock factor to begin with and realize that they're human beings like everybody else and there are going to be some positive tests. And the key, Chris and Alex, is obviously to contain them and to eliminate them as best you can and also obviously try to uh, limit any kind of mass outbreak on any one particular team. But, you know, again, I was surprised at first, but the more you think about it, they're human beings like all of us, and it's going to happen. John, on the hockey angle of this, uh, some exciting, I guess, or some excitement for Blues fans when they saw uh, Tarasenko back on the ice yesterday, Alex Petrangelo back on the ice today. Of course, we're in phase two. But uh, you have to be feeling some excitement as well, seeing that we're getting closer, hopefully, to hockey returning. Yeah, I mean, you know, like like all sports fans, in particular Blues fans and hockey fans, this has been a very, you know, tough period of time for everybody. And, you know, the season was paused for, for good reason. And it's, it's, it's still obviously a very difficult situation. But, you know, God willing that we come back and play hockey, and I, I think we will, um, I, I can't wait. I mean, I have I have missed the game of hockey and calling games and watching games as much as anybody and I think we all agree that the Blues 
have a very good chance of of going deep and maybe repeating as Stanley Cup champions. They have basically the same team as last year. They're going to be healthy. They're going to be rested. I think that's the big key is is the rest because um, now they'll be on equal footing with every other team, whereas if it would have been a normal playoff, um, you know, the Blues obviously would have been more fatigued like Boston having going, you know, 26 games last year in the spring. So I think they have a good chance, and I just uh, cross my fingers that we get a chance to drop the puck and, and announce some games and watch some games. You know, when I talked to Alex Petrangelo today, he brought up David Perron. And the fact that David went to the Stanley Cup final the year before with Las Vegas, so he had a short summer, and then the intense year of the St. Louis Blues, and then wins the Stanley Cup. So much like Marion Hosa, you know, with with the teams that he did it with, so much like the Pittsburgh Penguins and Detroit Red Wings, there is a lot of, of, of hockey and the wear and tear on it. The more I look at this situation, and when I try to handicap what we could see coming out of it, John, the more I really tend to sink my teeth into the belief that all this has done is made the Blues and the Boston Bruins that much harder to beat. Because those teams now are as tight as any team. They're fresh off the experience. And now they're that much healthier. So, and, and you, I guess in that standpoint, you know, you might as well throw, you know, the Washington Capitals and other, you know, recent Stanley Cup champion in the mix there. Uh, you know, Jake Gensel getting back for the, the Pittsburgh Penguins. But, but I, I, I'm telling you what, I, I, I actually like the fact, and I think if you're one of these other teams in the National Hockey League, you're going to be looking, okay, yeah, look, we got healthy, so we're in good shape, but my goodness, you know, like Oscar Sundquist is no longer nicked up and bruised, those Blues are going to be nasty to play against. Well, exactly, Chris, and, and I think, you know, as, as big as the health issue, as I said, I think it's the the rest the Blues have gotten, um, like every team. And, you know, the thing that's interesting, I've thought about this a lot, you know, in reading different articles and watching um, videos and, and things like that of, of coaches and players, you know, what team, and obviously we're at uncharted territory, um, it's pretty obvious, but what team is going to be able to get to their game the quickest and get momentum and play well and play well for four rounds, not counting the play-in round. And my, my opinion is that the way the Blues play could be beneficial because, you know, they're not a highly skilled team like, say, the, the Penguins or the Avalanche, um, even the Oilers with Dreisaitl and, 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 you know, the stars they have, McDavid. Not that the Blues don't have a lot of skill, but they're more of a lunch pail kind of team. And I think, this is my theory, I think there's a chance that they could get to their game perhaps easier and quicker than some of the skill teams. Hopefully I'm right. I could be wrong because, again, we've never gone through something like this. Um, but, you know, again, I hope the Blues' style and the way they play can be beneficial to getting back to their game. John, a question that uh, I know fans have been asking an awful lot throughout the day here on 101 ESPN is, you know, what that chemistry is going to look like when you put Vladimir Tarasenko back on this team. Obviously, they've played since October before the pandemic hit and the season was postponed without number 91. Just your uh, your opinion on um, what you think the ease of chemistry is going to be when Tarasenko returns. Well, you know, I was actually asked that this morning by Randy Carricker, and, you know, my answer is that he'll fit in seamlessly and most likely go back with, with Shannon Schwartz, and he's been a big part of this team. I mean, he's one of the most tenured players on the club, 
Um, obviously, the team is very tight, so I don't think that's a big deal. You know, the one thing I do wonder is the power play. I mean, the power play, as we know, guys, last year Bingo. Um, was not very good, especially late and then into the playoffs. But this year, it's been it's been much better. Um, uh, uh, a lot of that is the, the coaching and things like that. But, you know, Tarasenko is a unique player, as we know. He doesn't one-time the puck. So, you know, you put him right back in his normal spot. Um, we'll have to find out. Obviously, you can't just sit down a 40-goal score because he wasn't on the power play. I'm not suggesting that. But that's one area to me where the, the, the chemistry and, you know, where does he fit, you know, with the different groups and things like that. Um, but we'll find out. And, again, it's a good problem to have, to have a 40-goal score come back in your lineup. I don't see how you can insert him in his same spot when he comes back with the success that they were having. I well, actually, yeah, I mean, yeah, Chris, I, they were great this year, right? They, they, were, they, were, they, were, they were fantastic. And so I think all of a sudden he makes that, believe it or not, as sacrilege as it may sound, he makes it. he makes that second unit that much harder. And now maybe because he's on the second unit, you, you go ahead. Because remember, John, there there was a window in there where that power play, that first unit was really struggling for five, six games. But they went out every single time as the first unit. And we would ask, hey, do you start that other unit just to change it up? You might be more likely to do that if Vladimir Tarasenko's on it. But that first unit of five, especially when they started getting Pareko to bomb that puck and, uh, and unleash it, that first unit of five uh, was going so well. Maybe there's been enough downtime that, that you try something new, but, man, oh, man, that's a hard decision to make, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's um, it, it's going to be a question, Chris, of, of, of what they do. Uh, Mark Savard has done a really good job with that group, a very creative mind. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting, and you're right. You know, it's been so long, Chris, I can't really remember who was on the first and second unit. But all I know is my recollection is in the last month or so, the second unit was better. Um, So, you know, regardless of who was on that unit. um, So I think that's the good thing is that the Blues now control over the boards, perhaps 10 different players and have two really solid, dangerous power play units. You know, the other aspect of this, John, that that the Blues are going to do, and Doug Armstrong, I I think, has touched on this, is they they have to decide who they're going to bring in. Okay, And because of, we know that Craig Berube, his approaches don't change anything that, you know, from a regular season to the postseason in terms of how you do things. What's going to make this one different is they're going to have to bring in some of those guys from the American Hockey League. They're going to be with the team right off the bat. And if the team plays the two training camp games, they're still going to try to work some of these guys in maybe during the seeding games because if you've got to go to one of them. So the question is, does a Vili Huso, for example, see some early action potentially you know, in a seeding game? Because uh, I don't know that they really think that it matters that much whether you finish one through four. But they're going to they're gonna have to they're gonna look at bringing four goaltenders, not three, because if one goaltender, I mean, let's say Jordan Bennington or Jake Allen end up with testing positive and they're out for a couple weeks. If you only had three goalies, now you're down to two. So I, I think standard are going to bring have to bring, talk about bringing four goalies. I mean, just the makeup of the total squad is one of the intriguing aspects of this scenario. Yeah, I mean, the reports are, Chris, as you know, that the, the, the roster could be expanded to 30 players. So that's, that's seven more than normal, and, and that's obviously not counting unlimited goaltenders. So you mentioned who so. I would think he would he would get at least a half a game, if not a full game, um, assuming they do play two exhibition games and then the three-round Robin games. And a player to me that's intriguing is Jordan Cairo. 
he played really well this year for the Blues at times and was very dangerous. And, you know, he yeah. has that, that intangible, the speed. Um, so, you know, depending on who you might play in the, in the first round after the, the, the round robin, maybe you want a speedster like Cairo. But the other thing, as you mentioned, Chris, you have to prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And obviously hoping for the best is that nobody gets hurt and you have no COVID-19 positive tests where a player would have to sit out for a week or two. And then you might have to go, you know, down your depth chart and, and put a player in that you weren't expecting to. So for that reason, as you said, maybe every player that you think has a remote chance of playing or perhaps all 30, they get at least, you know, one game of the four or five that they will play before the first round. Well, John, fingers crossed that we're getting closer to this because it builds the excitement when we get to talk about the line scenarios and what the power play could look like and, of course, the playoff push with a healthy Vladimir Tarasenko. It's great to catch up, John Kelly, and we appreciate your time tonight, and we will talk to you again soon. All right, guys. Thanks for having me. There you go. That's the voice of the Blues. On the television side, Fox Sportsman West, John Kelly with us here on This Week in Hockey. And the Tarasenko aspect, I think, is the most interesting one. Not because you have a healthy Tarasenko, but what the team could look like with Tarasenko back in the lineup and all of this rest. Well, again, it's just it's it's slotting positions, Alex, and it's you put that guy back in your top six, somebody comes out of your top six and then goes down, and then somebody else goes down to the bottom four. And if you know your, or I'm sorry, the bottom three, if you know your bottom three is going to be Steen, Barbashev, and Sundquist, mm-hmm. it's who's coming out of that third line. Right. And that's, that's where the great competition is going to be. As the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, I'm Alex Ferrario. It is this week in hockey at the... End of this hour, we're going to hear from Vladimir Tarasenko, who was on the ice yesterday for the Blues. But coming up next tonight is the anniversary of a pretty significant move that the St. Louis Blues made. Curbs and I will talk about that next. We'll also take your text messages, 65780, the Air Comfort Service text line. All of that still to come here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. The voice of the blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario here with you on This Week in Hockey. At the top of next hour, Dave Mishkin, the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning on the radio side, is going to join us. A lot of news surrounding the Tampa Bay Lightning, so we'll get into some of that. You'll hear from Alex Petrangelo at the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. And, of course, you're going to hear from number 91, Vladimir Tarasenko, who took the ice yesterday. Coming up in our next segment. But, Curbs... I'm a big fan of anniversaries. I noticed that. Yeah, I know. Uh, you find significant. Do you know when yours is with Katie? Yes. Don't test me on this. Okay. October 29th, 2016. Boom. Okay. See, I always get mine confused. So Do that's you? Good. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I've, yeah. Well, I'm only and four it's, years I'm, in. It's no bull. I, I, I always, I always get a, a friend of mine got married a month earlier. So ours is, ours is uh, July 19th, I think. <laughs> It's July 12th. See, I do, the dump I do it's either <laughs> No, it's either like June 12th is my buddies, and then July 19th is ours. Or July, I, and thank God. So <laughs> he was also the best man in our wedding, and he gave us a, a platter that has a wedding uh, invitation engraved. So you refer it. to it at all oh, times. I do. I, uh, I'm only four years I, in, I, so. I, I do, and that's. But but that's okay. See that that hiccup for me has been there since day one. Yeah, since day one. And Christy gets it, accepts it, and understands it. So we're good. See, my hiccup is I just destroy doing the laundry, so I never get asked to do it, and then you never have the issues, right? Oh, let's, okay, that's it. I know we we got to get into this other thing, but that's a simple thing. Okay, do your own laundry. Oh yeah, just do your own laundry. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
Once you okay. butcher somebody else's laundry, then you got I'm real more than issues. happy to help you with your laundry, but take out anything that has special, like, like, hey, can you throw my clothes from the washer into the dryer? Yeah. Okay, but this, 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 and this can't yep. go in the dryer. Then don't put it in the washer with those other things. <laughs> I'm perfectly fine wasting wash water, wash water, yeah. just to one run load with the stuff <laughs> that can't go in the dryer. So it's not my fault. If, a if special you do load and then a normal there load. That's go. the way That's to do exactly it. Right. Well, All the, right, get, let's get to the anniversary that matters. Yeah, the anniversary that I'm referring to is the night three years ago that Doug Armstrong pulled off basically highway robbery, and that was acquiring Braden Shen from the Philadelphia Flyers for Yori Laterra the 27th overall draft pick in that draft, and then a conditional draft pick the next year. And I always knew that that was a big trade for Doug Armstrong curbs, but I didn't realize until I looked deeper into the numbers how much of a highway robbery trade that was for Doug Armstrong. Well, okay, so if you look at the success that Braden Shen has had with the St. Louis Blues since he got here, 225 games and 182.70 goals. Yes, it looks that way. It does. However, all right, Yori Laterra, we knew pretty much what Yori Laterra was. Now, nobody knew what he was into. Okay, <laughs> and, that, later. and that would go. Okay, so yeah, look, Yori Laterra did, didn't amount to much. But you can't forget that part of that trade was two first round picks. Mm-hmm. And that happened to be the year that the Blues missed the playoffs by one point. Therefore, the Blues ended up giving the Philadelphia Flyers the 14th overall pick. I promise you. When Philadelphia, when Philadelphia made that trade, right, they were not thinking that the St. Louis Blues are going to miss the playoffs. You're not thinking you're getting that high of a draft pick. Like the San Jose Sharks trading their first pick to the Ottawa Senators. So, you know, so they end up taking Frost. Now, Frost played 20 games this year. He was with the 27th overall pick and had seven points. Now, Joel Farabee. Could turn into being a heck of a kid. I mean, a 14th overall pick. He had 52 games and 21 points, eight goals. And again, you did, I, 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 today's world, I think people expect you know to be a Hall of Famer. Look at you know, look at look at Robert Thomas. Look at guys' numbers when you're given a chance. They came into an organization, and when that deal was made, all right, you've got a general manager that's that's building a culture that is not a healthy one. All right. They made the change at general manager. They eventually made the change at coach. And now look at what Elaine Vino has done with Mike Yo on his staff. And they've got them right now. And we heard John Walton last week tell us that he, he that Philadelphia is the real deal. Yeah. And that he actually could not say that the Capitals would have been able to hold off Philadelphia the way they were playing down the stretch. So putting putting all that into perspective, now you've got Frost and Farabee coming into a team that's very well coached, that's got some direction, that's got some veteran guys like Couturier and others that can help them along, um, that may have found a goaltender and the young goaltender, and they've got as good a veteran backup in Brian Elliott as you can get. So they're in a good situation. So, yes, the way the immediateness... The Blues won that trade. But for where Philadelphia was and what Philadelphia needed, Philadelphia may not be in a bad spot right now because of that trade, too. So I don't know that it's a win-lose in that situation. 100% agree. And you don't know. And Morgan Frost, a little that we did see him this season, looks like he was going to pan out very well. And again, the 14th overall pick, you won't know for a couple of years. But if they do hit, then that helps out that franchise. But here's the part that got me, Curves. You mentioned a 225 games play, which is second most from 2017 on for the St. Louis Blues. But for Braden Shen, he has the most goal 
goals in the Blues in that time frame with 70. Most assists on the Blues in that time frame with 112. Most points at 182. Most game-winning goals at 17. Most power play goals at 22. And most hits on the team at 384. Those are some spectacular numbers. I, I bet you if you had gone step-by-step step and asked me, I might have gotten about 75% of those right and would have thought this person or that yeah. person on another one. That Those really are some good numbers. The power and, play goal surprised me. Well, and, well, now that part shouldn't surprise us too much, though, because remember it was a couple of years ago before the Blues got him, he had 25 power play goals. He was all over, yeah. You know, and, but having said that, Alex, those are the kind of numbers and there, I think it's, it's some great points you bring up because that's why they signed him to that long-term yep. contract at an extremely, extremely reasonable rate of $6.5 a year. I mean, just absolutely phenomenal contract. Look, and I'm going to say phenomenal for him, too, because he accepted it and he wanted it as well. Right. You know, it's it's never going to look as bad as the Pippin contract. All right. But <laughs> Nothing will ever look that bad. But if you, basically you just signed over a three-year span, your leading point getter, to an eight-year contract worth $6.5 million in a year where you thought the cap was going to go up. Yeah. And now the cap could end up going the other way. And you locked what an absolute brilliant contract. And you locked in a number one center. And he may not be a number one center like a Jonathan Taves or a Sidney Crosby, but he's a number one center on a Blues team that uses physicality to create offense. And if he becomes a number two center, well, he's not. He's not going to become a number two center no. on this team. He's going to end up going to a wing. Yeah. All right. And he, at this point, you're fine going to the wing because you've signed that long term contract. You might not be fine going to the wing on a year going into that contract. Yeah. When you're trying to earn it, if you think your points are going to be less. Mm-hmm. And the only reason I say I think he's going to the wing is Robert Thomas is going to be a centerman and Ryan O'Reilly right, staying right. in the middle. Yeah. You know, so I think Braden Shen on the wing is going to make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Or, holy smokes, I. I one, two, three down the middle. That's what I was with, with, saying. With Thomas O'Reilly and Shen. Yeah. Like if 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 it, within within a couple of years, all right, you decide okay, we're, we're going to put Braden Shen in the middle on a third line mm-hmm. and manage his minutes that way a little bit, and you know make sure his minutes go up because of power, power play, play time. I mean, oh my goodness, yep. the depth at that position for at least the next five or four years for the St. Louis Blues is phenomenal. Well, look. Men, we may forget our anniversaries, but you'll never forget the anniversary of Doug Armstrong making that trade and bringing Braden Shen to the St. Louis Blues. His line mate's happy he's going to be here for six more years. Vladimir Tarasenko took the ice yesterday. Phase two underway. Chris Kerber caught up with number 91, and we'll hear from Vladimir Tarasenko next on This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. Alongside the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber, I'm Alex Ferrario here with you until 8 o'clock this evening. We're going to talk with Dave Mishkin, the broadcast voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning on the radio side coming up in our next segment. But yesterday, number 91, Vladimir Tarasenko took the ice over at Centene. As phase two is underway, we've seen Vladdy on the ice for the first time since his injury back in October. And really, we've seen a hockey player back on the ice for the first time since March when this pandemic hit. So Chris Kerber had the chance to catch up with 91 yesterday after he skated to talk about being back on the ice and what these last few months have been like without hockey. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been kind of busy, you know, busy home with kids, and uh, I think play every possible game, uh, you know. Uh, but you know, can't can't complain because of our work, we can spend a lot of time with the families sometimes. So it's been nice being around for that long, and 
I think everybody keep work out and getting ready for facilities to open up. And uh, yeah, like I said, a lot of positive good things, a lot of positive moments with family. And you know, it's nice to see some of the teammates right now. How is how is your shoulder feeling, and and how has that process gone? Yeah, everything good. Uh, I was really close to come back playing when the season got uh, delayed, so uh, get some extra time to recovery and. Uh, not even recovery, just practicing and uh, make it more strong. And yeah, everything good though. What was uh, the season like for you having to, uh, to rehab while the, the teammates were battling through? I mean, it was hard in the start. Uh, uh, it's really weird feeling. I never miss a season like this. And uh, I think my family helps me a lot because if I was single, it was very different emotions staying home for that long by yourself. But uh, you know, they always support me, always uh, being on my side. And, uh, you know, the closer you get, the more positive emotions you have, the more um, happy you are for, you know, seeing the boys for the first time, skating with them. Um, I was lucky enough to go to a couple of road trips with the team, you know, feel this atmosphere. And, uh, yeah, I'm ready to come back and play some hockey. You have always, really since your day one here, have, have always talked so positively about what your teammates mean to you and and how it's, it's you don't even like to, and, and most people don't, don't like to talk about yourself. You want to talk about how good your teammates are and, and what that's like. When you're able, after suffering an injury, to get back around your teammates the way you were, does it make you feel like you're around family again? I mean, family is family, and nothing gonna be like family. But yeah, it's uh, you know I miss a lot of time, and as soon as I start coming for skates and for road trips, it's totally different emotions when you, uh, even if you're not playing, you can feel this atmosphere. You can uh, be with the guys when they play. You know, it's, you feel closer to the team, and uh, yeah, this was really really good for me. Hey, we just had Father's Day yesterday. Uh, what, what does it mean to you to be a dad? Uh, I think it's learn how to be responsible for everything you're doing because uh, the kids learn really fast. So uh, they, you know, they look on you, they look what you're doing, they look how you act, and they try to copy you every time. So you have to be, uh, you know, really polite, really good to them, and show them the way how to treat other people. And uh, the other thing too, nothing you can buy most expensive presents, gifts, or whatever you want, but nothing gonna. Uh, Nothing gonna be more mean more for kids than your time you spend with them, the play, uh, the games you play, and uh, that's what I try to do when I have a time to be home. Uh, you know, spend some time with my wife and my kids, and just being a good dad. It is a lot of fun. To that end, like, what does your dad and your grandpa have meant to you in your hockey career over time? I think yeah, there is a lot of articles about it already, but yeah, it means a lot. They, you know, they learned me how to skate and spend so many emotions, nerves, and uh, so much time. And I'm really thankful for everything they did to me. So they was my example how to, you know, treat the kids because I always was treating really well. Sometimes it was hard on me, but I probably deserve it. So, uh, you know, uh, try to learn my kids to be, you know, really good humans first and then everything else is whatever they like. What was it like for you as we just recently celebrated the one-year anniversary of the Stanley Cup? What was it like for you to take that Stanley Cup back home? I mean, for me, yeah, the first uh, the chance to get it home here in St. Louis, and my kids have time to 
you know, to hang out with the cup, I think it's pretty unique experience at that age to, you know, have a chance to touch it and hang out with it. But uh, when we bring it home, all these people who uh, grow us, like my white parents, uh, my family, uh, they deserve to have a chance to hang out with the cup, even if it's a long way there, almost half of the world. So, <laughs> but, uh, you know, everything was uh, really good. We have a really good event and I think everybody have a lot of fun. Vladimir, what is it like for you to uh, to stay in touch with family that that are, that are halfway around the world with such time zone differences while you're here playing hockey and raising your family here? Uh, yeah, like you mentioned, I have my family here too, so uh, it's going to be different if I was by myself. But uh, sometimes it's hard because we understand the grandparents and our parents can share the moments with us with the young kids grow up but uh, you know we try to facetime them or send some videos we have like a group chat so they can see how the kids grow and uh yeah i think it means a lot for them has, has it been a, a challenging time to just kind of have to stay in one place and, and not be able to go do different things the thing is like we treat our house here as our home so we kind of feel like we just stay home and uh uh yeah, it was. I think it was not that hard, but like a little bit weird in the start. But again, the three kids keep us busy, so uh, try to enjoy this time together and uh, follow the rules, whatever they are. And you know, it's, it wasn't boring at all. Okay, so I have to ask, whose idea was it to do the shoulder lift with your wife on social media? Oh, not mine. Sure, probably. There's. <laughs> I showed that to my wife, and she said, "You are not going to try that." <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> it's not that hard, but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not really active social uh, yep. social net network user and Instagram user, but you know, when wife asks you, you can say no. So just do a couple squats, good for me too. <laughs> well, it was fun, and it's fun for the fans, I think, to see some of that personal side and, and how important. And, and we all know, getting to know you, how important your family and stuff is. And I think it's neat for the fans to sometimes see that a little bit as well. Now that you've gone back on the ice, what are some things that are important for you to work on? I mean, you start probably slow. You know, you start with the basics, some um, exercises where you can... I'd learn how to skate again, but, you know, remember the feelings, and I think it's going to be pretty quick. Uh, and I skated before a few times, so it wasn't that hard, but it's like a usual start of your skating. You know, you work on, on the basics, and then you move it to harder and harder level. And, you know, hopefully when the camp open, everybody will be ready, and uh, now we're going to play for a win again. For somebody like you that works uh, so hard on your shot and then has gone through the injury that you did, what are, what are some practices or what are some things that you do on the ice now just to get the feel of getting that back? I mean, basically it's the same stuff and I have a net at home to shoot and a lot of pucks, so I do it there sometime and uh, just work on the shoulder stretch a little bit more, a little bit change your routine for uh, but I try to don't think much about it because I don't want to live in the past, you know. I feel good right now and uh, Try to make make as much as they can. Try to make make as much as they can success to you know come back and be 100% ready.
you know what it was like to win a Stanley Cup now after a long, grueling season and then playing 26 out of a possible 28 games. Uh, is this, do you think, will be exciting? The fact that all these teams have been rested, they're ready to go, players like yourself are healthy, that, that the level of competition is going to be very, very big and intense? I mean, yeah, intense, but... Uh... I've never been in this situation, like all of us, so I don't really know how it's going to be because, uh, you know, that World Cup we used to play um, a few years ago, it was feeling a little weird starting with the games like on the high level right away. So uh, I think um, we're going to have a training camp before, so I think everybody's going to be ready and it's playoffs, so there is no time to, you know, find your game or something like this. You need to be ready to play and, like I said, just play for a win. When, when you end up around July 10th and the whole team gets back, are you looking forward to seeing everybody in one room? Yeah, it's going to be fun. You know, it's a fun practice as a team. Uh, I bet everybody has a lot of stories. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be a fun time. This is still a very tight group of players, isn't it? Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, almost the same guys from last year. So, uh Everybody know what we are here for. Everybody know, you know, what we did last year to make it happen and uh, just continue to do this and stay tight. So many players that have won the Stanley Cup before have said, you win it once and it's a great feeling. It's amazing. And, and it was. And uh, but it makes you want it that much more again. Is that accurate? Do you feel that way? Yeah, I think right away. I think uh, right away on the ice, you can feel it when you actually understand you win a cup and you just don't want to lose anymore. I know it's impossible, but this is, you know, thoughts in your head when uh, you get it all the way up and you won and you want to do it again. Yeah, I think it's true. Well, fans are hoping that we get to see that again, and it's great to hear Vladimir Tarasenko talk about being back on the ice, being strong and ready to go once the season picks back up. And again, if you missed any of the interview with Vladimir Tarasenko, you could check it out on the podcast at the end of tonight's show at 101ESPN.com. And stay tuned because Alex Petrangelo is going to join us at the bottom of the next hour. But coming up next, Dave Mishkin, the broadcast Tampa Bay Lightning, of course, a lot of COVID cases popping up around the Tampa Bay Lightning during Phase 2. And as Curbs mentioned, Dave's got a little experience of broadcasting off of a television, which might be Chris Kerber's life. We'll talk a lot about that coming up next as we continue This Week in Hockey here on 101 ESPN. number two this week in hockey welcome back along with the voice of the blues chris kerber i'm alex ferrario here with you here on a tuesday night every week tuesday night you get two hours of this week in hockey then wednesday nights it's behind the bench presented by boardwalk hardwood floors chris kerber has those duties and this week i'm excited to listen to this one now we heard a little from chris thorburn earlier today on ribs and bk but this guy has so many stories played a very long career in the nhl as an enforcer very successful Successful career wrapping up as a Stanley Cup champion. And I'm sure, Curbs, this guy has plenty of stories to get into with you. Well, he does have plenty of stories. The uh, Again, I think what you're going to really enjoy when you hear this interview tomorrow night is just the respect and not th- that he had for his teammates, that his teammates had for him, and, and all that. The other thing that might surprise you, because you keep in mind, he played 10 years for one organization. You know, when you're talking going from... Atlanta to Winnipeg, okay, the, the same organization, just part of a move, and he signed his contract. With, he signed his contract extension with 
Atlanta, and then they moved that summer. So the reason that's important is here's a guy that spent 10 years with his with one organization that Alex felt like he was on the bubble every single year. Right. I mean, I jumped in. I, I said, how does a guy, how does a guy that play, play 10 years with one organization feel like he's a bubble player each and every year? And he said, that, that's the approach he had to take. Well, and if you think about it, I mean, even his first year in St. Louis when he was signed here, that was the year that Ryan Reeves, of course, was traded to Pittsburgh. He wasn't even a guaranteed spot on this roster. He even talked about it today, yeah. how he had to come into that training camp thinking, okay, I'm going to be in the AHL unless I put out. But I think that's the focus of every enforcer if you think of the new NHL, right? Well, it, and, and the snag is... is y- it's not just the role of enforcer. It's how you have to play. And, you know, I think the game was catching up to him a little bit on there where look at how the fourth line for the St. Louis Blues operated the year they won the Stanley Cup. Look at how the fourth line for the St. Louis Blues operated last year. Look at the kind of minutes that you needed from that fourth line and what you expected out of that line. And that, that might be the most important part here. On a championship team, that line of Barbashev, Steen, and Sunquist yeah. could go up against anybody. They could go out and get a defensive assignment against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisidel and be successful. <laughs> and and that is what you need in that role now. So look, we we talked about this last week with Ryan Reeves a little bit, who had just signed that extension with Las Vegas. Ryan Reeves had three fights. Yeah. Uh, now, part of that is because who, who the hell wants to fight him? <laughs> okay, <laughs> but, sorry, but but the other part of it he is is he had three fights th- this current season, you know, and and so the one there's a deterrent. But Ryan turned himself into a play. I mean, Ryan turned himself into enough of a player that Pittsburgh said, okay, albeit the thirty first over the thirtieth overall pick because they had just won a Stanley Cup, but it's still a first round pick, right? And that's where Clint Costin came to the St. Louis Blues. So. um you know, you have to give credit for guys that play in that role that can play that long and have that long of a career because, and, and even in the end, he enjoyed his time down in San Antonio. He went down with the right attitude. This locker room wanted him back up. This locker room wanted him on the roster. Yeah. When he came in right before the playoffs started in 2019, I mean, it was like they got a long-lost brother back. That's how well-liked he was top to bottom in this room. And uh, he, he said something very pointed. I won't give it away. We'll, we'll play the interview tomorrow night. But but he, he did say he, he has one regret, and he talked about that one regret in that interview. So make sure you're tuning in tomorrow night. Behind the Bench, presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors here on 101 ESPN, 6 to 7 o'clock, Chris Thorburn with Chris Kerber. Kerbs, before uh, we continue, and I know we're trying to catch up with Dave Mishkin, so uh, hopefully yeah, we, we'll, we'll, we'll see if we've reached out to him again. Uh, yeah. Sometimes happen when you've got young kids and you got to put them to bed. Understandably yeah. so. But I did want to get into the Hub City scenario because oh, we, yeah. we talked a little bit about this earlier. Uh, the conversation with Michael Russo that or, took place earlier today on Ribs and BK. Of course, NHL Insider covers the Minnesota Wild, but that's the other kind of holdup right now of getting to the uh, start of the playoffs and having a, a hard, crisp date is the Hub Cities. Now, Vegas seems to be the favorite, but the other one is the one that's up in the air. So take a listen to what Michael Russo had to say from earlier today on Ribs and BK. Well, I think Vancouver is the leading contender if you look at Canada. 
Canada. And and uh, right now, it absolutely looks like Canada is going to be willing to lift this 14-day quarantine that's mandatory for people uh, when it comes to the National Hockey League. And I can tell you for a fact from talking to league sources that there's no chance the league would go down this rabbit hole with an entire country um, and their government and their health agencies. They get them to change their rule and then say, sorry, we're not coming. So um, it is if Canada 100 percent officially says you're welcome here, um, there's no doubt it's going to be uh, one of at least uh, Vancouver, Edmonton or Toronto. Um, you know, theoretically, you could have two hub cities in Canada and and uh, gas Vegas. But, you know, I think that Vancouver is, is the most appealing to the players, at least. Now, Edmonton is putting on an incredible push right now. That's the part that I was, the whole time he was talking today, Curbs, I'm thinking, yeah, you know, Vancouver makes a lot of sense. You can have that uh, time zone difference, and you can have one side, the other, you can flip them. But when he said you could gas Vegas and put both teams in Canada, I kind of, part of me was like, there's no way that could happen. But then the other part was, but then you yeah, have everybody in the same area, and you have no concerns over everything. Uh, so, well, first off, you know Michael Russo is as connected and and is a, a good of a reporter that there is in the National Hockey League. So, when he talks about scenarios, he's coming from a very educated standpoint, um, and and I agree with him. So, uh, the, the several fronts here. He mentioned that that Edmonton is putting on quite a push. One of the things that Edmonton has done has said that uh, they're going to work with some companies and have some basically Rocky Mountain excursions, for example, available to families if they come up. But my understanding is at least through the first through the first two rounds of the playoffs, families are not uh, going to be involved in this. Right. Um, that then having said that, and so, and so really at that point, you're talking about players being kind of sequestered for a month, essentially, and half those teams for even less than that. So. That that that's number one, um, but there's a couple of things here. Canada is going to they're going to call them cohorts. So Canada is going to lift the 14 day quarantine requirement for the hockey players and the hockey related staff, part of that group of 50 that are coming in. They're not lifting that for families, all right. So if if somebody's going to end up bringing a family in, right? If somebody's going to end up bringing a family in. That family is going to have to show when they land how they're going to self-quarantine for 14 days and then be able to move around the country. So um, that that's going to be a challenge with that. Vancouver makes a heck of a lot of sense. And Las Vegas, to me, still makes sense. Now, um, L.A. could, could I think, still very heavily be in the mix. I think a couple of factors here. One, do you have enough technical people to help pull this off? If you're going to do world feeds and you're going to have three games a day, you're going to be spending a lot of money on extra union time and, and also bringing people in if necessary. But and Alex Petrangelo is going to touch on this in our in our chat with him coming up here in a little bit, Alex. What are the hub cities and the league going to do to enhance that bubble, that sphere that these guys have to be in? That one still allows them to be safe, but gives them a chance to at least not be locked into a hotel room. Okay, so now the other thing you have to know, and you keep Gary Bettman in mind in this, okay? Gary Bettman has been very loyal to owners and companies that have been committed to the league. That's why when an owner does what Tom Stillman has done, 
with the quality of the building, with the quality of the team. You're rewarded with all-star games. You're rewarded with winter classics. And he's done it everywhere. He's done it everywhere. He's been extraordinarily franchise loyal. Maybe the most franchise loyal commissioner in the last quarter century. All right? And, And facts will back that up. But he also knows where his business is. And they have signed some really important deals with MGM lately. Mm-hmm. And, and again, this, this is my opinion, okay? This is not coming from, uh, from you know, having talked to somebody in a league office. This is just, this is just knowing the past and, and trying to look at things pretty smartly. They, they've signed, and, and there's going to be some increased deals coming because of the way the sports gambling landscape has changed. This could be an opportunity to really tie into that MGM company and every one of their properties out there. And they will have the ability to take over a hotel and some other areas and lock them down. Part of this is going to be what restaurants in these hub cities can they basically take over and pay, I'm sure, large sums of money to make sure that, okay, close the restaurant by three, make sure everything is wiped down, cleaned up, send a health official in to make sure that that is done, that that is done under the watchful eye of somebody the league has hired, and then only league people are in there to eat dinners. Mm-hmm. You know, are those restaurant workers, have the restaurant workers been tested? I mean, all sorts of this stuff are going to have to play into this, and that's why I think the Vancouver-Vegas thing makes the most sense. I, I think you have options like that in uh, in Toronto. You have some options like that in Toronto. Apparently, redid their proposal according yeah. to Pierre LeBrun and put in some pretty amazing things that they'll have access to. So, you know, how this is going to shake out? Could could you see Toronto-Vegas? I mean, honest to goodness, I think you could. Mm-hmm. I, or, I'm sorry, Toronto-Vancouver. I, I think you could, but I also do think that. You have to realize you're a dual country, and I think just from a PR standpoint, the ability to say one hub is in the States, one hub is in Canada is very important. And and, and don't be fooled to think that all of that doesn't weigh into this. Yeah. Couldn't agree more with that one. And again, if you missed any of the interview with Michael Russo, you can check that out on the Ribs and BK podcast or on 101ESPN.com. We'll try and reconnect with Dave Mishkin of Tampa Bay Lightning. If not, have a little Hall of Fame conversation to get into. But we're going to continue with This Week in Hockey coming up next here on 101 ESPN. All right, we bring you back into This Week in Hockey. Chris Kerber with you along with Alex Ferrario coming up here in just a few minutes. We're going to bring you the chat that I had from earlier today with Alex Petrangelo. Man, we talk about everything from uh, being and the dad of triplets during COVID and quarantine to getting back on the ice and all the things that are important right now to get up and running. And that's coming your way very soon here on This Week in Hockey. Joining us live, though, from down in Florida is my good buddy Dave Mishkin, who is the radio voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. And uh, a lot to get through with Dave. But Dave, how are you, buddy? How's life down in good old FLA? Hot. (laughs) (laughs) It is late june in florida and i was really stupid because i knew i was supposed to talk to you guys at seven central and i was so stupid i went outside in the heat it's like eight fifteen here and i'm outside the heat instead of talking to you oh that's so, all right i i would i, I would no, do, i would that, do the same <laughs> other than that all good family's good everybody's healthy and kind of like you i'm guessing you know you're staying busy with with this show i've done some work both on air and writing to at least get some element of you know hockey ingested into my bloodstream (laughs) which has helped keep me i wouldn't say sharp but at least 
coherent uh, for when hopefully we come back here in, in short order and we can get back at it. Dave, what was your reaction when you saw a few of the Lightning players going through the protocol testing positive for COVID-19? So at least for right now, they said, okay, let's get the situation calmed down again and shut down the facility to, to regroup. Well, I was surprised just because there was an element of it that came out of left field. And just to be clear, you know, they're working out on their own. I'm nowhere near them. Yeah, I've been staying at home with my family. Right. So I heard about it just like everybody else. Look, I think the Lightning did the right thing. They, like all these other teams that have players in town, are testing periodically. So it's not like these three players were feeling poorly and got tested. They caught it through maintenance testing, basically. So they were able to isolate those three players immediately. They shut down both facilities, both the main rank and the practice rank, where they were holding these small groups. And I hope they... You know, are going to continue. Not I hope they hope that they're going to you know continue this until they're on the other side of it, which should be before camps need to open on July 10th. But they aren't the only team. I mean, I read there were 11 players of the ones that were tested who came back positive, and and based on the fact the league yesterday right expanded the number from six to 12 in terms of the maximum number of players in the small group outings. The fact that they expanded that number is an indication that they they don't feel that this thing is going off the rails. They maybe were expecting to have some isolated cases. And they haven't yet reached a point, Chris, where they can really lock it down and, and put the players in a bubble, which is certainly the plan for Phase 4 when they get to the hub cities, and maybe even the plan for Phase 3. I haven't really heard too much about how that's going to unfold. But I wouldn't be surprised if when the teams meet up for full training camps in their cities, if there isn't an element of a quarantine there. I don't know that to be true, but let's just say I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case. But we're not there yet. Players are still on their own to kind of come and go as they please. And I think the league probably anticipated that they might have some positive cases here during this particular phase. No, I agree with you. And I also can't help but believe that I I have to think that one of the thought processes in expanding from 6 to 12 is also the fact that I don't think they had as many players actually show up to participate in the voluntary part of phase two as they would have thought would have. I think some guys are still staying on their own. And by maybe expanding that, you're able to start getting more into the testing protocol, which I think is a real important factor. What about when they get things going, Dave? How do you think that this quarantine and the rest is going to benefit the Tampa Bay Lightning in that battle for that nasty Eastern Conference crown? <laughs> well, not just the lightning. I'm really curious about a number of elements to this, Chris. First of all, have we ever had a playoff where, with rare exception, every team is basically healthy? Nope. They're coming in. Now, you got to get through camp, and because players have been off, working out, but off, and unable to skate at the pace and the level that is required in training camp – we may see some players dealing with injuries during camp. And even that week at the hub cities where you may have an exhibition game or two, you may get some players hurt before we actually drop the puck for the play-in series and the round robin. That remains to be seen. 
But if those numbers are low, we are still going to be going in. Even if they're not low, we are still going to be going into a playoff with more players healthy and fresh than we have ever seen before. So that's one part that's really unique about this. Another part is that so in a typical regular season, the early months of the season tend to be more wide open. We see more high-scoring games. The top power play units are skewed high. I mean, you're seeing like percentages of 35, 36, 40 percent after the first month in the regular season. And then as we get into the season, teams tend to to settle into their systems, and we see more defensive hockey in the second half of the year. And then we get into the playoffs, which is certainly very defensive-minded type of play. And I'm really curious to see which of these competing elements will prevail because we are kind of starting over again, right? And it's not like teams go into October and say, we want to win 7-6. It's more that they have not had the muscle memory repetition of playing the system that their coaches want them to play. Maybe with the exception of the Blues, because you guys came rolling out of the gates and just locked it down. But for most teams, you kind of need some time to kind of settle into a defensive posture as you gear up for the playoffs. We may have that, but we may not, based on this long layoff into training camp and then starting up again. But we're starting up again in the playoffs where defense does reign supreme. So I don't know what we're going to have. Are we going to have six, five games with, you know, really prolific power plays? Or is it going to be more like a usual playoff where if you're winning 4-3, that's considered a high-scoring game? You know what I mean? I broadcasters are non-essential as uh, we're going to find out here. So you, I, I know when your wife Dulcie was was battling cancer, in order for you to be there for her, you called a few games off of a monitor uh, a couple within the last couple of years. Give me a tip of how to call a hockey game off a television. <laughs> well, I'll say this: I did it twice actually. Dulcie had chemotherapy in winter and spring of 2016 and then she had it was a surgery it was a routine surgery but it was related to that a year and a half later so december of 2017 i went back to the studio and and did that month and i remember thinking going back in december of 2017 wow you know i did this i did like half a season with road games off a monitor i was able to manage and i started that first game again i'm like Damn, this is hard. I'd forgotten how challenging it is because it's a two-dimensional screen. We're used to seeing things three-dimensionally. The the biggest wild card for the play-by-play announcer, different challenges for the analyst. And I've actually talked to our analysts, Brian Engblom, Bill Esposito, Bobby the Chief Taylor, who who is now our studio analyst, about the challenges of analyzing a game when you're watching it on a monitor. Slightly different than the play-by-play. The play-by-play, you need to be able to see the puck. And for the most part, you can see the puck. But the biggest wild card is the television director's choice about how tight the the center ice camera is going to be on the ice. And it's almost counterintuitive. You might think, well, you want the camera to be closer 
so you can see the players. That is not the case. It's the opposite. Because a wider shot will allow you to see the puck most of the game, if not all of the game. The puck moves quickly, but it moves left to right and right to left. It's not going in the air. And any camera person worth his or her salt will not jerk the camera to keep up with a fast-moving puck. They will they will keep a steady move left to right or right to left, which means that you might lose the puck if it's too tight for for an instant. So you're and saying I need instant, to get a hold of the Directors Guild. Well, <laughs> I mean, I was doing regular season games, though, Chris. So, And again, when the team is on the road, you're at the mercy of the home team's director. Right. It may be different when you're talking about one feed, which is what we're talking about, or maybe two feeds if, you know, NBC and, and, and Sportsnet are doing well, it. Well, and, and I don't that know and, how that's going to unfold. Yeah, that and the National Hockey League knows that they are actually going to be shooting this for that purpose as well. Like, that's, that, that is what ends up being part of it, too, is, is, uh, that, that they know that this world feed is not just there just to, uh, just to send to TVs, but that, Basically, every single team is now broadcasting off of whatever they're seeing. So, yeah, um, I, I think those conversations. Hey, buddy, listen, man, thanks for giving us the time. We uh, th- thanks for letting us interrupt your evening, man. I I can't wait to see. Uh, hopefully, uh, maybe it's a Stanley Cup final matchup, and we're able to get back into the buildings. That would be awesome. That would be awesome. You stay safe. Take care and uh, enjoy those monitor calls. You're going to be you're going to be sharp like you've never been sharp before. You're going to be your spidey sense is going to be ringing. <laughs> I have an aura all around you. Uh, I have no gripes. I can tell you that. I just want to be part of getting things back together for people. So that's all that matters, man. That's, I know that's all good. Good talking good. to you, talking to you too, Dave. Thank you, buddy. All right, that is Dave Gosher. He is the voice of the Tampa Bay Lightning. He and I were doing games together in the American Hockey League at Old Hershey Park Arena. It was his home base. And we'd sit across the arena from each other where the two broadcast positions were. And because of the curved arch, and both of us could be loud, we could have conversations I was gonna say, you in an have, empty building. You can have conversations now with people yeah. in, in a full building. We're, so it, it was it, it was pretty good. <laughs> All right, so uh, that's Dave Gosher. We'll take a break. When we come back, Alex Petrangelo, the captain of the St. Louis Blues, in a bit of a long-form interview for you here on just uh, what's going on with him around the COVID scenarios and how that's getting back to action, what it means for his hockey team that he is the captain of. We'll come back. Back in a moment on This Week in Hockey on your home for St. Louis Blues Hockey, 101 ESPN. Back in here on a Tuesday night along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrari. A big thank you to Dave Mishkin who joined us to give us a little inside look of what Tampa Bay Lightning have been going through with that pandemic that's popped up. And of course, I'm trying to get back into the ice for phase two. Now we're going to transition back into a little Blues conversation. Today, Alex Petrangelo took the ice. Phase two underway in St. Louis. Blues players making their way onto the ice. Chris Kerber caught up with the captain of the St. Louis Blues to talk about being back on the ice and the upcoming playoff format. So take a listen. Alex, how you doing out there? How's that body feeling after a couple of days of skating? Yeah, first uh, first day was a little rough. I'm sure Vladdy said the same thing yesterday. I mean, once you get your timing back up. Uh, it's funny the, the difference between day one and day two and today was a lot smoother a lot more crisp i would say and uh not quite as sore after this skate as i was yesterday is that as long a stretch of time as you've gone without skating in a long long while maybe ever uh, i would yeah probably i think part of the reason too i think now uh, i'm a little busier at home so i think i can find a distraction maybe 
Uh, I think I would skate a little bit earlier than probably I should have just because it gave me something to do and fill my day. But, uh, you know, it's funny, as you get older, you, you seem to get the feel back. And, again, like I said, after a couple of drills yesterday, things started to feel pretty normal. What's this pause been like for you? It's been a little bit different. Uh, good chance to be a dad. I mean, you know, it's like with our schedule, it's never easy to be, uh, be gone as much as we are. But um, I'll tell you what, my wife is a saint after – I know she's uh, doing well on the road the whole time and three toddlers who uh, want to do what they want to do right now is an adventure every day, I guess is a, probably a good way to describe it. You know what, uh, during, during the 04, 05 lockout, that's when Gracie was born. And so Christy went back to teach after a few weeks. And uh, so for the next few months, it was it was me and this baby. And, and I loved every minute of it. But I, I'm, I'm telling and I don't say this facetiously. I don't say this like, I, the, the respect you gain for uh, the, the stay-at-home moms, the stay-at-home dads, you know, or the parents when, when you've got a job that causes you to travel. It's it's different when you're writing in the thick of it day in, day out, isn't it? Well, and they treat mom different than dad. So, you know, they, just, they have a different relationship with mom. So sometimes they get needy with me. I can only imagine what it's like with my wife. And there, there's three of them. So I'm sure they're fighting over that space. There's only so much space to go around. So um, I guess we're kind of, we're trying to figure out the toddler stage when you got two boys that all they want to do is wrestle and fight. And one girl that wants no business of it. <laughs> what's the, uh, what, what's the COVID scenarios been like for a, a dad of, of three young kids like that? Like, what do you care uh, for about? The hardest part, I think, at first was just filling your day, finding stuff to do. Um, you know, I guess our, by the time the pool was open and the weather got better, it was a little bit easier because we could just open up the doors and we can go inside and kill a couple hours. And But, you know, we were doing a lot of car rides, a lot of, uh, you know, driving by farms and trying to look for animals and planes and anything really to kind of occupy them. And, um, you know what it's like trying to teach your kids something they can't listen to their parents so we're trying to give them a little bit of school and work on our colors and our letters but after a while uh, it turns into either a wrestling match or you got one going one way and two going the other way and you know mom and dad are like alright let's try something new How, what are some things you did to, to keep yourself in, in the best shape you possibly could without skating well I, I have all the stuff in my house in my, in my basement so I have everything we have in our gym here I bought and I've had in my basement so Eric put a program together for me and I just pretty much follow the program for me I said I think I told you or something, we just basically treat it as an off season I just you know I said we're probably going to have 8 to 10 12 weeks of being able to train which is more than what we had last summer after playing as long as we did so we put together a program and all I've done really is just treat it like an off season to kind of gear up because if we if we play um, it'll be a short you know off season going into next year Hey, this this pause has been beneficial, more so for some teams, and I'll say like like Columbus, who were just decimated with injuries, and now have really grown into health, and that, that's going to be an amazing thing to watch how these teams go at it when and if plays able to get started. How do you think that the rest now for us as as, the, as Blues fans having? Watch this veteran team go. But you, you do have a good mix of youth w- with the young guys. But a guy like an Oscar Sundquist who can just get over some of the nagging bumps and bruises yourself and others, not just Vladimir Tarasenko coming off of a big injury. How does that actually benefit you guys in terms of the experience you gained last year now going in fully healthy to the tournament this year? 
Well, I'm not just injuries. Momentum plays a big part of it. You know, we obviously had a lot of momentum going into last year. Uh, look, Colorado, Colorado, and a couple of their big guys that were hurt going in, they're going to be well rested. Um, even the teams that necessarily didn't have big injuries, obviously we had Vladdy, but um, you know, after last year, leading to this year, playing as much hockey as we did, I mean, it's wear and tear physically, mentally, and as you sit back and, and you're not playing, you're not sure if we're going to resume or wait for phase two, you realize that your body needs time to recover. So for us, it was pretty beneficial. Uh, it's not easy to play as much hockey, especially a guy like David Perron, who's played you know two years in a row, one of the finals. Um, I think mentally, it's just as important because you can kind of take a break and recharge the mind, recharge the body, and um, kind of get that, you know, excitement to get back again because you know what it's like when you travel and you're playing as many games as you are and you get to that, you know, last stage of the season, you're kind of waiting, you're gearing up for the playoffs and uh, it's just nice that we were able to kind of take a break and, and get ready for this. Can you, uh, can you relate your Olympic experiments, experience, World Cup, the international tournament experience to how to mentally be ready to go right away into a Stanley Cup playoff tournament? Um, I was thinking about that the other day, probably more so the Olympics because, or sorry, the World Cup, because the Olympics is played in the middle of the season. So you basically, you know, you're playing 50 games and then you go in and play the World Cup. You're basically at home skating with a group and then you uh, go into a small training camp and then you gear up and you play. So, um, you know, lucky I've done that before and that was a good kind of uh, opportunity to see, you know, how you do it. So, um, again, it's again, I told people before, who asked me what it's going to be like. I say, once you get into practice and one exhibition game, you get bumped a few times and, um, you know, get your eyesight back, what it's like, your timing, uh, the competition, it'll go back to home. You know, uh, what do you think the tightness of this group and what you've all experienced together over the last couple of seasons means in terms of how quickly you'll be able to be ready to go and, and back feeling that, that tight groove you need to win? Well, the good part about us is we know our identity, right? We've played the same way for a long, long time, um, especially building off of last year. We've kind of kept that momentum going of our style of play. You're not really coming in any different off and off seat, same players. Uh, it's a little bit strange, Rex, when you kind of put it that way, but we're all uh, we're all geared up. We all know how to play. Again, like I said, when, once you get everybody on the ice together and, and we do a few drills and Chief goes through some videos and we kind of look at our, our play and, the muscle memory is an amazing thing. I think uh, we'll grab it for good everything. Once again, that's Blues captain Alex Petrangelo after his skate earlier today. Curbs and talking just about what this has been like. I can only imagine for a hockey player being off the ice for three months, which has to be the longest they've been away from skating in their life. Yeah, and, and, and as he said early on, the difference in this one, though, is now being a dad, and especially a dad of three kids, life is just different for him at home than prior to that. So he's had things to keep him busy, but yeah, it's going to take just a little bit of while, but as you said, the muscle memory starts to really come back at you pretty good. And, you know, that's one aspect of this, Alex, I think that's going to be really important is Alexander Steen feels like he's going to need a little bit more time. You know, if you're Vince Dunn, you probably might think I need two days. Mm -hmm. So managing that but uh, for the coaches will be something they'll be keeping an eye on. Yeah, this has been like an offseason, though, for these guys. It's about to come at them real quick when once Phase 3 opens up. And Curbs is going to continue the conversation with Alex Petrangelo talking about what this expanded playoff might look like and defending the Stanley Cup. So we'll get into that next as we wrap things up tonight here on This Week in Hockey on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN. 
back in. Final time tonight here on This Week in Hockey, along with the voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. You just heard the first portion of the conversation between Kerbs and the Blues captain, Alex Petrangelo. Here's the second portion of that after his skate earlier today up at Centene. What are some things that when you hit the ice now for the first time in close to three months that you work on to make sure that you get into it the right way without risking injury? Well, start a little, you know, start slow. I think uh, first couple of days, maybe start a little bit slower and then gear up. Even in the middle of the skate, start a little bit slower and, and then gear up, get everything warmed up, get the same muscles, you know, used to working again. Um, but then again, you know, we did the same thing two days in a row and today was a lot easier than yesterday. So I'm really banking and uh, as the week goes on, I'll wake up the next morning and not be using my bed as a little bit of leverage to try and get up from the from the sore knees and the sore back. <laughs> it is a different beast, isn't it? Well, you can work out like crazy, bite, whatever you want to do, but nothing is like skating. So I've learned that over the years. And that's one of those things that where hockey versus the other sports is just different. I mean, you could whether it be basketball, baseball, some of these other sports, there are certain things you can do outside that really do a good job of mimicking what you go through. The nature of skating is one you just got to put on the skates and get on the ice, isn't it? There's, there's really, you can rollerblade, but that's the closest thing, but there's no way of replicating what it's like, um, you know, small movements and, and reacting to a pass or reacting to someone kind of getting in your way and trying to get around them. Those are the things that you really, you know, you can't replicate. If everything goes according to plan and the timing of July 10th and then uh, a few weeks later, first part of August, getting things started, do you feel that's enough time to get yourselves up to speed? I think so. I think the league will give us enough time, you know, maybe a week or two in advance to say, okay, this is going to be the start date. So that'll give us, you know, maybe two, three weeks of training camp and then a couple of weeks to prepare for training camp. You know, five weeks is a long time. It's a lot of ice. I'm not, uh, that's certainly enough time for all of us. You know, as, as a captain and leader of this team, how do you feel that the communication and the cooperation between the Players Association and the league has gone to enable these steps to happen? Well, I mean, I've obviously been through a lot go before, and this is a lot different. I mean, both sides know, um, you know, this is just something that was brought upon us, and we're going to work together through this. And I think for the, for the most part, the same message has been put forth by both sides, which is, which is real nice, and it's easy, and we're... Look, we're all trying to get the same thing done here. We're trying to find a way to make this possible. But, and I, I've said it before, is uh, you know it's not easy because it's out of our hands, and we're really following the guidelines of the health officials. But at the same time, uh, it's almost easier because both sides know, uh, as a third party, who's kind of leading the way here, and rightfully so. It's how it should be. Can you give us an idea of, of what it's like to, to get up in the morning and have to kind of take your own temperature, answer a few questions, to be able to just to go to the rink? Yeah, it's a little bit different. I, I forgot this morning. Um, so I was a little bit late on the temperature, but um, a little different. But again, it's like anything, right? The more you do it, the more you get used to it. And then they take your temperature when you get here. So if you have kids, there's always a thermometer handy. So I would get <laughs> one to be able to use. Well, how much of the success of this is going to do, uh, really, in your opinion, come down to compliance by the athletes and and not just the athletes you know the other people inside that bubble to make sure that uh the healthy stay healthy and the risks are minimized to play this through yeah we all want this to work right so um people are you know going to be at the hotels people uh at the rink i think everybody's going to follow those guidelines because we know it's at risk if you don't right and how quickly this thing can spread so um but if we're going to do it, you want to do it the right way. And that's the, the, the important thing is that both sides are, are really sitting down 
talking to the health officials and, and trying to find a way to make sure that everybody's doing it the right way and coming up with, uh, you know, ways to kind of secure that. So people aren't really wanting to leave that bubble or leave that hub and there's enough for us to do that we can kind of stay in there and uh, really keep this thing contained. Uh, you know, frankly, as a veteran player and as a dad, have you started to wrap your head around just what that all means and potentially kind of being in that bubble for a while? Yeah, it's, um, I think that's the hardest part that I think a lot of us players who have kids or, you know, wives, girlfriends, whatever. Um, it's not going to be easy being away from your family. I mean, uh, I've gone for whatever, six, seven, eight days at a time, and it's hard enough. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be difficult on me. It's going to be difficult on the kids, my wife. So um, that's the one thing that I think we're really going to have to think about and how to make it possible to have some access to them because I, I don't think you can necessarily expect people to be gone from their families for that long. How have you managed the compartmentalization of all this, Alex, with not only that, but the pending free agency scenarios and the unknown of the timing of everything involved? Yeah, I mean, it's the timing's a little bit weird. It's a little bit weird for me and my wife. Obviously, we kind of knew, you know, what day free agency was. I mean, that was obviously always July 1st, and uh, we never really wanted to get to that point. But here we are. We don't even know if we're playing. So it's strange I guess I don't really know how to describe it we try not to think about it and just kind of go about our day and worry about when we're going to finish the season first and I think the league's working really hard so that um, teams can have you know those critical dates where you know draft free agency next season because um, teams need to plan right they need to plan players need to plan everybody wants to kind of know what's going to happen here if we do play and leading to next season and one of those things you just have to wait to find out what those plans are before you can advance anything yeah, because, you know, the league doesn't in the, in the union. We, we haven't really come up with, you know, what the cap's going to be next year, what Astro's going to be. I mean, all these things really, you know, those all come into play and, and what a team wants to do moving forward. So the more answers we get, the quicker we get them, the better off. I think all the teams will be. Could you imagine having this conversation with Alex Petrangelo on the day you were drafted? No. no <laughs> I, I knew we have a couple of kids, and, and I'd be having these family conversations, but – I didn't know uh, we'd be at this stage already. Time flies, I tell you. Man, well, I, I, I know it's it, one of my favorite articles I always read is on that Players' Tribune with that letter to the younger self. So I'm going to ask you, what, like now going through all this as a dad of triplets and pending free agency and, and, and just the unknowns, what, what, what do you tell yourself? If you could go tell yourself one piece of advice after the St. Louis Blues drafted, you literally you get drafted, you go get your jersey, you're coming down, and before that first interview – what, do you, what, what, do you, what would you tell yourself? Well, one, just enjoy it because I can't believe it's been as long as it has. I'm, what, 10 years in now. It's unbelievable that it's that fast. Um, and, and, and just try and relax, you know. What, the things will take care of themselves. Whatever's meant to be is, it's, you know, is meant to be. And um, I guess when I say try and enjoy I mean, I look at my kids, they're already two, and I – don't even know if I remember when they were small, time goes by so fast. And before you know it, they're going to be teenagers. So uh, I always say family first, enjoy that time, and, and everything else will take care of itself. You know, a couple of days ago, uh, some people, uh, I think even the NHL, put out a kind of a picture of the top three in that draft. You were drafted, and I replied to them, whoa, you forgot a couple of big ones there. That's a heck of a top five when you throw you and Luke Shen along with Bogosian and Dowdy and Steven Stamkos. That, that's a hell of a top five draft class. There were some good players drafted below us, too, so let's not forget that. That whole first round was pretty good with defensemen. It's been a uh, it's been a heck of a lot of fun so far. How comfortable are you? Uh, have you really grown into this leadership role with this hockey team? 
yeah, I mean, like I've been here for a long time. I think the, the easiest part for me is that I have such a good relationship with all the guys I've been around. A lot of us have been here together for so long. So it's not even on the professional level, you know, each other, you know, each other on the personal level and you can really, you know, find a way to, um, you know, relate to each guy, talk to each guy. And, um, like I said before, I rely on other guys too. I don't try and do this thing all by myself. And when you have uh, such a good relationship and, and, and guys can be vocal and honest with each other, you know, it's coming from a good place. It certainly makes things a little bit easier. Are you as geared up now to defend that cup championship as you would have been on April 3rd? Yeah. I mean, once you get going and the competition gets going, we're going to want to win this thing. So again, the time is a little bit off, but um, if we're going to do this. We're going to do it to win. We're not just doing this to, uh, to kill time. It's fantastic. I was, Hey, uh, glad to see you're back at it. Skating around. Glad things are safe with the family too. Best of luck. And uh, well, we'll probably see over zoom again before we get there. We're allowed to see each other in person, but we look forward to catching up real soon, man. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Curbs. Yeah. And Curbs, just hearing Petrangelo talk about the expanded playoffs, defending the Stanley cup, how he, these guys are itching to be back onto the ice. That just gives you the, the thought process of what we've talked a lot about these last couple of weeks of how the Blues are in such a good position because of this team chemistry. I came out of my chat today and then honestly the one yesterday that we did and put up on the Blues website on our Zoom call with, with Vladimir Tarasenko. But especially the one today relating to Alex Petrangelo. I came out of that chat with a level of confidence. Uh, the, the feeling of these guys are in control of not just getting back at it, but control of the thought process of what this is going to take. And there is, again, that unique special quality. I don't know that it's going to result in a back-to-back Stanley Cup championship, but I hope it does. I don't know. I, I do know, though, that this Blues team if they stay pretty healthy, it is going to be relevant for some time now because of this mental approach and attitude that they have. And we can talk about Craig Berube all we want, um, and, and coaching does matter. I do think with some of the core of this, uh, that uh, some of this was initially instilled by how Ken Hitchcock coached as well, um, and, and even a little bit from Mike Yo. But it's 100% the players. It, mm-hmm. it's, it's their attitude. It's their approach. And I came out of that interview talking to a confident individual comfortable in his role as captain comfortable in the environment we are in right now with the delay he said he approached it just like a off-season program and also comfortable in the unknown of realizing the situation that he and his wife and kids are about to face with free agency and what that could mean and they don't even know any of that because the pa and the league have not decided on a cap yet right put all that together I'm going to tell you what, and again, put on the old poker face here. It's different when you can see their face, and there's there's just a confidence to the him, and I think that confidence permeates through this group. Well, there's no question. If you missed any of the interview with Alex Petrangelo that Curbs did, you can check it out on the podcast after the show tonight at 101ESPN.com, or you can check out the interview itself with Tarasenko or Petrangelo at stlouisblues.com. Curbs will be back with you tomorrow night for Behind the Bench, a full interview with Chris Thorburn, who recently retired from the NHL, so we'll hear from Thorbs tomorrow night. Curbs, great show tonight. Thanks, Alex. Great work tonight. There you go. Voice of the Blues, Chris Kerber. I'm Alex Ferrario. We'll talk to you next week for more hockey talk here on This Week in Hockey on your home for the Blues 101 ESPN.